Let's pray together. Father, we love you so much. Thank you for laughing and not taking ourselves too serious. God, I pray that right now, that in a supernatural way, you would come and open up our hearts to receive your word. That, that we wouldn't be distracted by, by things that try to distract us. We wouldn't be drawn off course, but right here and right now, in the most supernatural way possible, we're asking that you would divinely, God, inspire speech to penetrate and communicate on a supernatural level in such a way that we, we might all walk out of here saying, today I encountered the living God and I experienced his life for me. We love you, we honor you, and we surrender this to you in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Amen and amen. I love it. When you got to change microphones over in the middle, it's tough. I was, uh, I consider myself a pretty laid back guy. If you know me, you know that. I'm, I don't get uptight about a lot of things. I don't get, you know, overly stressed out by a lot. But I am the kind of person that when something pushes up against me too much, I'll bite you. I don't like to be pushed around. I, I, don't, I don't appreciate it. I don't like it. I don't tolerate it. And so there's just certain times as a shepherd that I listen and 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 finally I say, I'm about to pop you. <laughs> I'm not talking about anybody individually. <laughs> I'm talking about a prevailing culture of fear that has gripped our world. Yeah. I, I, I was sitting in the gym and I know you guys know I go to the gym. <laughs> I was sitting in the gym and I was avoiding my exercises and talking to people. And there's a screen, you know, up on the walls all around the gym for people like me. And I mean, I was lifting lots of weights, trust me. But like, it's beside the point. It was more than my other friends, but it was fine. But you're watching the screen scroll and no, I, like at some point you got to watch the screens and just say enough is enough. I just want to read to you some of the headlines for the last, you know, 18 months. Global pandemic. Inflation. Which no one knows what that is. I asked my friends that are like really smart and banking stuff and they're like, oh yeah, 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 I know what that is. I'm like, what is it? And they're like... It's like, you know, inflation. Who causes it? We know. <laughs> Y'all are terrible. Terrorism, wars, earthquakes, natural disasters, a media that can't tell the truth to get out of its own way. On both sides. Just lie after lie after lie, and then you lie about the lie, and then you don't know you're lying. And then, I mean, just stupidity running through our media, feeding our society. There is this unbelievable deception amongst media. Vaccines. I mean, it's like literally a four-letter word. Murder hornets. That was one. What in God's name is a murder hornet? 
I don't know, it was some kind. Murder hornets. Monkey pox. It's like, I feel like they made that one up. World Economic Forum. It's basically like the billionaire's club of the world. And so they don't want anybody else to make money. Banks failed. That, that happened. This week. You know, they don't tell you it wasn't, you know, pinnacle, but... Banks failing. Everything, I mean, radical, reverse racism, segregations, reparations. Divided government, so divided that it no longer feels like there's one or the other. It literally is starting to feel, and y'all, this is bad if that's our comparison. It feels like good versus evil. A fight for life and death. It, it, it is so polarizing, divided, complete separation. And then, by the way, the, the per perpetuating kind of prevailing thought of the day is that there's, there's no more wrong, there's no more right. There's no more truth, there's no more gender. And if that's the case, there's no more humanity. There is this cauldron, this melting pot of mass hysteria and fear. <clears throat> and can I just say, Christians don't live in fear. If you find yourself watching this nonsense and you see, oh, oh man, the banks fell, the murder hornets are back. <laughs> monkey pox, monkey flu. Hogwash on you. Like that's nonsense. And now am I saying somebody's going to clip that and put it on like, he doesn't believe it. murder hornets were real. It's like, here's a bit. I'm saying that all that stuff might be real. Christians have, have done two things really well. We've either fully embraced everything that the world tells us to believe and think in such a way as to abandon our faith, or we bury our head in the sand and act like it's not real. Both of those are cowardly, wrong, and unbiblical. It's not right. To, to, to ignore it and just say, da, 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 it's not real. Like, well, I bet they, they might be real. That's just a terrible name, you know? I, and I'm sure all these diseases actually exist. They, they know where they made them, but it doesn't. <laughs> this isn't about that. They're real. It, it's. It's real that there is danger. It's real that banks are failing. It's all real. That's happening. And yet, mass hysteria and freaking out is not the way of the believer. What is, you know, what does the Bible say should be kind of where we start? And if the scriptures tell us that in the last days, there are going to be tumultuous times where there are wars and rumors of wars and storms and, and crisis and men are going to do things like like listen to Luke 21 25 as he talks about the end times it says and there will be signs and in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and in the earth distress of nations which uh, with perplexity the sea and the waves are going to be roaring and listen to verse 26 men's hearts failing them from fear. And the expectation of those things which are coming upon the earth, they're going to be so freaked out by what's happening on the earth that they're going to lose their heart 
that might sound like too fairy tale esque but let's think again what does he mean by lose heart I don't think which you can make a case because of the heart attack rate in the world today I don't think he's talking about your physical heart they're not gonna just all of a sudden their hearts gonna fall out of their body and they're gonna be like where's my heart C.S. Lewis said in the abolition of man that there would be men without chest if we embraced a sense of relativism in the world. That the more we talk about the absence of absolute truth, the more we talk about, about there being no concretes, that God isn't real, that there's relative society. He said the prevailing sign of a relative, of a relative to society would be that there will be men that have no chest. And he's not saying literal chest. He's talking about there's no center, there's no core, there's no truth, there's no absolute about who they are. And men without chest will lead a society to death. You see, that is the embodiment of this verse, that men's hearts will fail them. What? From fear. You see, Christians, we have to remember that no matter how dark the day gets, that dawn is approaching. The night gets, right? That, was, that didn't make sense. That there's light at the end of the tunnel. That we actually win. We're not, I mean, I, I hope you're not. Sorry. I hope you're not walking around wondering, is God big enough to, to win this too? Let me just clarify. Yes, he is. He has, and he will again. Yo, Jesus said he's coming back. You know what that means? That means when we talk about second coming and, and last days and end times, that's not like some mystery book we're reading. That's going to happen. Jesus is going to put his foot on the Mount of Olives, but this time not as a suffering servant, this time as the Lord of heaven and earth. And so we've got to get a, get a grip. Like, what are you going to do when you turn on CNN and you see that happening? They probably won't hear it, but... But y'all, this is real. I know I'm taking knocks today. Don't let that distract you. There's going to be times when men's hearts fail them and we're living in it. Where there's a whole society that says no truth, no humanity, no nothing, no, no good, no evil. And therefore it evokes and provokes a spirit of fear in all the earth. Now think about this for just a minute. I'm not, this isn't the whole sermon, but if the enemy of our soul got kicked out of heaven because he wanted to be worshipped by God and he gets sent down and, and comes down here and starts wreaking havoc on the world. His, his desire has always been to receive that which was only meant for God. Worship, right? He wanted to be worshipped. Lucifer. The, so he wants to be worshipped. What is something in the scripture that is only meant for God that we're called not to do anywhere else? Fear. Three hundred and sixty-five times we're told not to fear. Don't fear, don't fear, don't fear, don't fear, don't fear, don't fear, don't fear. So obviously, the Word of God knows that there is a prevailing 
pursuit of fear in our life because the enemy wants to take what is only meant for God and give it upon himself. He, he wants to create so much turmoil and strife and confusion and pain and suffering in your life and so much wonder and mystery about thinking, you know, what is fear? Fear is the belief in something that hasn't yet actualized. It's believing a lie. It's believing something that hasn't happened yet. And so he wants us to get fearful and afraid and worry about things that, that don't matter. The word says, why would you fear the thing that can't that can only hurt your body. You should only fear the thing that can, can, can tear apart your, your eternity. And so the, the point being is the only thing that we should be afraid of in a healthy way, because sometimes fear is healthy, right? Like you see a big cliff and it's like, you know, when I was, you know, 18, I'd be like, is there water down there? I might jump. That was dumb. Fear can be a healthy kind of boundary for sure. But we're not supposed to give fear, give over to fear. We're not supposed to give ourselves to fear. We're not supposed to allow fear to take our heart from us. And so we need to be people that are aware of what's going on, but yet somehow in the supernatural, able to overcome fear. So let's jump to that. How do we overcome fear? Well, there are 365 times that we could get into the word and then look at it. The prevailing, the number one by a long shot way that we are to overcome fear. Like, so when it says fear not, well, then you got to look. What does the word say after that? Whatever it says, how to do that is really important. The number one thing by, you know, far and away, Isaiah 41.10, it says, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and I will help you and I will uphold you by my righteous right hand. Beloved, if we want to know how to how to live a life where we are able to push back, fight back against a, a culture and a society that wants us to be just, you know, head cut off, chicken with our head cut off, running around crazy, all confused all the time, all Dismayed. If we want to know how to do that, if we want to know how to, like it says in, in, in John, I'm sorry, Luke 21, 19, by patience, possess your soul. If we want to know how to stand in, in the midst of chaos, looking and aware, you know, not head in the ground, looking eyes wide open at the world that has gone crazy around us, we've got to possess our souls. We can't be people that are frantic and freaked out and you know if, if you find yourself talking like this <laughs> chill <laughs> compose yourself you know that's biblical people come up to me all frantic Luke 21 19 compose yourself why because if Jesus isn't wringing his hands on the throne then you shouldn't be wringing your hands here I promise you, Jesus is not up in heaven going, Oh my God, Dad, Dad! What are we going to do? Dan just told me a prayer. I had no idea how bad it got down there. That's not who God is. 
by patience. Be patient. Hold on a second. Breathe. Possess your soul. And know this. Fear not. I am with you. I love it. Think about how meaningful that is. Like, Anybody in the room have an older sibling? Some of you, you know, like it's trauma. I don't want to talk about it. I get it. My older sister, who I'm pretty sure I could take, if she would walk with me upstairs in the dark as a little kid, it made me feel like we could conquer the world. But if I went by myself, mind you, I'm a big boy. <laughs> I'm a big guy. I've always been a big guy. My sister couldn't have been more than a, a hundred pounds. And yet if she was with me, it empowered me. How much more as we walk into the darkness of night than is the world to know that the God who breathed out the stars is holding your hand. Yeah. If he is with you, the word says what? Then who can be against you? What are you afraid of? Let me say that to me. What am I afraid of? Like what, what, what murder hornet can outdo the God who breathed out the stars? It might sting me, but he could just... <laughs> oh, global pandemics and this and that and... Buffoon pots and you know what? I'm just gonna not be afraid of it. Like, well, you know, I'm not talking about each unique situation. I'm saying I'm gonna fear not. Why? Because he promises he's with me, and when he promises something, he always comes through. He said, "Be not dismayed. Don't be disheveled. Don't be freaked out. I am your God. Think about that." Your God isn't your safety. Your God isn't your comfort. Your God isn't your society. Your God isn't your fill in the blank. I am your God. And if I say you can do it, you can do it no matter what. And then he continues. It's crazy. I'm going to give you strength. Now think about it. My sister couldn't give me no strength. But it gave me strength to be with me. That was enough. Now he's saying not only will I be with you, but Tony, I'm going to empower you. You trust me in this. You don't let fear override you. I'm going to empower you to do things you never thought you could do. And then I'm going to go on. And I'm going to help. I'm not going to back out. I'm not going to take you, you know, halfway up the stairs. Y'all, has anybody's, you know, siblings ever done that? I'll walk with you up the stairs and get halfway. They're like, oh, psych! <laughs> that would be terrible. If you did that, you need to repent. He's going to be with us. He's going to help us. <coughs> then he says, I'm going to uphold you with my righteous right hand. So beloved, that's just one of 365 that we could look at. And we're going to do them all today. <laughs> Don't be afraid. He says, I'm with you. I'm your God. I'll strengthen you. I'll help you. And I'll uphold you with my righteous right hand. That's why we can overcome fear as a Christian. 
That's why we can look and see and be aware, right? We're not head in the sand. We're not ignoring it. We're not dismayed by it. Why? We stand right here in the middle of it and say, God, I see all that's going on. I see all the crisis, all the pain, all the suffering, all the fear, all the worry. And I stand soberly. I stand fully present. I see it. And I'm not afraid of it. But I'm confident in what you called me to do and who you've called me to be. So I want to quickly look as we kind of move to wrap up at a story that is the embodiment of this word, the embodiment of this picture. Because it's one thing to take the word, apply it, and then go, okay, that's what it means. It's another thing when we see Jesus take something we've, we've applied and, and live it out himself. I want to take you to a, a story in Mark chapter 5, 21 through 43. It says, Now when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus, by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet. And he begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she might be healed, and she will live. And so Jesus went with him, and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. They, we don't use that a lot. They, they were just all over him. And now a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things from many physicians. And she had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. And when she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. And immediately a fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed from affliction. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, You see the multitude thronging about you, and you say, Who touched me? They're kind of like laughing at him. And he looked around to see who had done that thing, to see her who had done the thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your afflictions. And while he was speaking, some came from the, to the, uh, from the ruler of the synagogue's house and said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? And as soon as he heard the words that had been spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not be afraid, only believe. And he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, saw a tumult, a mourning process, and those who wept and wailed loudly. And he came in and he said to them, Why make such a commotion and weep? The child is not dead but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. And when he had put them all outside, he took a father and took the father and mother of the child and those who were with him, and he entered the child where she was laying, entered where the child was laying, and he took the child by the hand and said, Talitha Kumi, which is translated, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl arose and woke 
walked for she was 12 years of age and they were overcome with great amazement but he commanded them strictly to say nothing to no one and said that somebody should give her something to eat you see we have this picture we have this story that we could take so many ways there's so many sermons there's sermonettes there's so many applications in this story today we're going to kind of stay in the point of view of the of the ruler of the synagogue jarius we, we, the, the woman with the issue of blood that's a whole different point of view that's a totally incredible story but but we have this man jarius he leads a synagogue he's a religious man he's a jewish man and and he's obviously a religious person and at the moment of his greatest fear, the moment of his greatest crisis of life, we have to assume, the moment of, of, of the pinnacle moment of his life, when he is in desperate need and he's aware that he can't do it on his own, that the, that the headline is too dark, he abandons everything and goes to Jesus. That's a really good point. That, that at some point, we might have to just abandon everything we think we know and every, and just focus on Jesus. He didn't come to Jesus and, and say, well, I've heard of you and I too am a religious leader and I'd like to philosophize about how to overcome the depravities of our time. My daughter is dying and the only way she lives is if you come. Will you come? Jesus, Jesus didn't respond with, well, I'm glad you finally came around. He didn't put his face in it. He didn't respond out of some, some angstiness. He also didn't respond out of some, oh my God, we got to go now. Frantic. You're, what's going on? Oh, oh no. All right, let's go. So much so that as he's walking with Jarius, all of a sudden he gets overcome with people. People start grabbing at him, pushing into him, trying to get him to heal and do all this stuff. Think about this from the perspective of Jarius. If your daughter is on the table over there and everything is hinging upon this man touching her before the moment that she dies, then all you can think about is who am I about to kick in the face to get off of Jesus so I can get into my kid? Maybe I'm just not that spiritual, but I would have been boom, power slamming people, you know, like urgent, we have to go. And why are you sitting here talking to these people? In the moment Jesus goes, whoop, and turns around to look for the woman, you gotta be, you gotta think Jesus is going, oh my gosh. I get that way when we're leaving church. I'm ready for lunch. Somebody drives Amanda to tell her something. Oh, dear God. How much more does his urgency, his franticness, his pain, his suffering, the headlines of life are saying, run home. And Jesus takes time. He doesn't rush. He doesn't freak out. He composes himself. 
And he in fact turns and acknowledges and blesses and heals this woman who has been broken for years. Who had the courage and the faith to fight through a crowd, to touch the hem of his garment in faith and belief that no matter how bleak her headlines were, that it was a touch from him that would change everything. He honors it. He slows down long enough. He doesn't, he's not frazzled. Why? Because he knows if he wants it done, it's going to get done. He knows time doesn't stop him from where he's headed. So what timeline we think we understand, God is not bound by it or stuck to it. So he has time to turn, to honor her, to bless her, to send her in peace. And then he continues to move. And you've got to think, you know, cinematically, as he turns to take off and take off walking toward Jarius, he sees Jarius likely hit his knees from getting the worst news he could ever receive. And, and I have to imagine the moment the crowd is loud, the dust is, is in the air, and he can slightly see this new man that he's met who had the faith to bring his greatest pain to him. He sees him receive news that his daughter is dead, and he breaks the, the crazy silence of the loud moment, and he says, Jarius, don't fear. Only believe. Beloved, if that's all you remember from today's sermon, when times are their worst, hear the voice of Jesus pierce the silence saying, do not fear, just believe. You knew where to come. I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, and you came to the right place, so let's go home. And he walks with him home, and you've got to think Jarius is going, what are we doing? What are we doing? She's already, she's, she's dead, right? She, they said she's dead. What are you going to do? We have context. They didn't have context. They, they, don't, they didn't have the whole New Testament to go, oh, well, it's likely that he's going to just raise her from the dead. He hadn't like raised from the dead yet. And so there wasn't this clear understanding. Jesus walks in. People are wailing and weeping and crying out to God. A tumult, a, a time of mourning had begun. They were freaking out. So much so that Jesus comes walking in, comes inside, and you got to love Jesus. He goes, what's all the fuss about? That's odd. Because <laughs> he knows. But he doesn't. He doesn't start speaking into their hysteria. He speaks the truth. He knows why they're freaking out, but he doesn't freak out with them. He, he calls out the truth in front of them. He said, I said, I'm coming. And I say, she's sleeping. And that's so foreign to the world, right? Y'all, that's so, that's so out there for the world that they, in fact, mock him. The very person that the leader of the synagogue, that means the spiritual leader of everyone in that house likely, has said, I, my faith is only in Jesus. I've got to have Jesus as our only hope. I went to get him. I brought him back. And because I can't comprehend what he's about to do, I only have the, my only thing is to, to mock him for being here. So Jesus says, Y'all, she's only sleeping. What's all the fuss about? 
They start jeering at him, mocking. Yo, I promise you, as the world gets darker and darker and the headlines get darker, and we are able to step into the blast furnace that is fear-based America, wherever you are, fear-based whatever, and we say, I am not afraid because my God is with me. And if you want to know him, I'll introduce you to him. But he says he's going to uphold me and he's going to empower me and he's going to be with me always. So there's nothing you can do about it. The world is going to mock you for that. It's not going to, like, we will be made fun of as a church because someday we actually believe that the Bible says that what it says is true. I promise you, those days are coming where other Christians will look upon us and say, What? You think that was, he was serious about that? You think he wanted you to actually use this book as like a guide to life? It's like, uh, yeah. <laughs> what does Jesus do with those people? He says, get out of the house. He gets them all out of the house. He lets the mother, the father, and the disciples step into the room. And when he steps into the room, he knows exactly what he's going to do. He doesn't get in there and go, okay, anybody got a plan? Uh, I'm trying to think of a good prayer for this one. He walks right over to that girl, grabs her by the hand and says, Talith Kumi, stand up, little girl. Let's get on with it. Yeah. What does that say to us? It says that he who sits on the throne is above all things. That we don't have anything to fear because he is with us. And what he sets out to do, he always does. And so we get to stand in the middle of this crazy life. And I'm sure every generation thinks theirs is the craziest. But it's our turn to say, this is the craziest. It ain't never been like this before. But what I also know to be true is this whole thing about he's coming back again is a promise. Yeah. Yeah. I know for a fact, I've heard so many generations of preachers if I've gotten to sit with over here, well, I remember I thought, I thought our generation was the second coming. I thought we were going to see it in our time. In our time, in our time. Well, you know what? I think we're going to see it in our time. Because the conditions are right. Because there's absolutely things happening that point to it. And because people have lost their hearts to fear. I believe it's going to happen. But no matter what happens, I know that he's on the throne. That he is with me. That he's going to empower me. That he's going to help me. That he's going to give me all that I need. And that he will be with me always holding my hand. So no matter what comes, no matter what, what resistance, no matter what pushback, no matter what opposition, no matter what pain. I mean, you know, this is, this is getting controversial up in here, but so what? If the greatest thing that the enemy of this world can do to you is to take your physical life, and the greatest thing that can happen to you is to be in your spiritual body present with the Lord. Then Jesus ultimately thwarted the devil's plan. Yeah. Yeah. What can he take from you but this? Yeah. And so, you know, that's, that gets on Twitter. We're going to be called crazy, but it's like in the Bible. 
And so we've got to at some point start to believe I can actually operate in fearless living. Completely aware of what's happening around me, discerning the times in which I live, and on mission. Why? Because you weren't put here, you weren't in this space, you weren't given the grace and knowledge of Jesus to hide it in a box so that you could end up in heaven one day. We are meant to change the world. So if we're meant to change the world, that means we've got to have an encounter with God right here, right now. Then we've got to grow deeper in our faith. And then we've got to start building community. And then we've got to go there for and do something with it. Yeah. I was talking to Pastor Steve between services. And, you know, I'm tired of people preaching messages like this. And then going, okay, so let's go get back in our bunker. No. Let's go change the world. Yeah. The world doesn't need a bunch of Christians hiding away somewhere. Yeah. Yo. We're going to go home where there's mansions, streets of gold. Heaven's going to be incredible. You're going to have plenty of time to rest. Now it's time to go do something with this incredible news we have that says we don't care what everybody says. We don't care what everybody's trying to sell us. We are at peace and we know Jesus. And if you want to come along, you're welcome. Yeah. Yeah. See, church, it's time for us to do something different, to be the body of Christ in and to the world and trust that he's going to be with us every step of the way. Amen. Father, we love you. We thank you for these moments. We thank you for loving us so much that you gave us Jesus. We look and, and comprehend and we discern the times we're living. We, we see these things coming to fruition where, where men have lost their heart to fear. We understand that even as Christians, blood-bought and covered, that it's possible for us too to allow fear to run amok in our lives. Where we have, we repent and say, God, come and have your way. Would you come, O oh God, and give us a spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Would you empower us to, to look at the bleakness of the headlines and know that you're still on the throne. And therefore, take your message of hope, healing, life, restoration, and salvation to a lost and dying world that we might be able to give them Jesus. We honor you today and we thank you for empowering us to live a fearless life. In Jesus' name, amen, church.